and thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. Well, when I was asked to speak, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give a very simple uh, feel-good message that we can all agree on, would make us feel happy, and then we'll go eat pizza afterwards. I really I thought that, and then I thought, no, so I went with this one instead, what I'm going to do today. I don't know why. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm going, why am I doing this? But it's part of my personality. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, very happy to be here, and uh, we've been very happy to be here for 10-plus years and uh, call this home. and. I appreciate the platform to, uh, to be able to share with you guys today. So uh, I don't speak often enough like this to make this super polished and as smooth as I want it to be. So uh, you're going to have to kind of just go with me on that. I'm going to maybe go all over the place, but I have two kind of main themes and thoughts uh, I'm going to kind of go with this morning. And uh, it is probably going to be challenging. Uh, but this is challenging for me to even be up here speaking because I'm not super comfortable doing this, but I kind of like this. I like talking with you guys. I like uh, thinking about things and, and uh, just exploring and going on a journey. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So I want to talk about nuance and reframing. Probably nobody expected those two words to be the topic because well, that doesn't sound very, you know, churchy, but we'll, we'll get there. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know. I told you I don't do this often enough to know, but I'm going to try to get there. Uh, and, uh, and we'll see. So nuance and reframing, I, I don't know why I went with both, but every time I tried to go with one or the other, they kept kind of intermingling and, and there's just a lot of connection between the two. So by reframing, I just mean, uh, presenting something and looking at something in a different light. And I think that's very helpful to do all the time with whatever we're talking about, theology, politics, social stuff, uh, parenting, you name it. A reframe is very helpful. Sometimes I've found. Here's a good example recently. You guys might appreciate this. Actually, you guys might not like me for this. But uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, and I was saying, you know what? You know the movie The Princess Bride? Everybody loves this movie, right? I'm going, you know what? I don't like it. I don't like that movie. I don't, th- I don't find it to be funny. And I just kept saying, and, and I kind of gave a couple of examples of movies I find funny. I'm like, I like this movie. This movie's funny, and that movie's funny. And The Princess Bride, no, nah, it's not funny. I don't laugh. I watch it and I don't laugh. And he reframed it for me, which I appreciated. I still don't like The Princess Bride, but I appreciated his reframe. He goes, Dan, I love that movie. That movie is phenomenal. It's great. But you just compared it to these movies that are these comedies. That's not what this movie is. Don't approach it as a comedy like these other movies. I like it for the storytelling. It's feel good. It's fun. You can watch with the family. He gave me all these other reasons why he likes the princess bride and it's not because it's super hilarious funny he's like i don't really laugh all the time when i watch it either so i was like i like that you gave me a different perspective i was still not going to watch the movie but <laughs> anyways that's a, an example of a reframe <laughs> all right i got a lot further to go in this message here i can't i'm like uh the sermon on the mount right jesus in matthew 5 that's kind of a he was doing a, a somewhat of a reframe there you've heard it said this but i say to you this he was kind of turning what they thought was this black and white system. He's going, no, nah, look at it from this perspective. You, you, you guys are way off on this. Um, and uh, he does that a lot, right? Jesus just consistently reframing things. I'm going to go through a bunch of, of other uh, examples in the scriptures where uh, there's a reframe or there's a nuance. So a nuance would be, um, I guess it's like a Latin uh, or French word that means uh, a shade of color or a subtle distinction or variation. So it's, uh, it's not bold and obvious black or white, right? It's kind of a gray somewhere in between. <clears throat> and uh, we like bold, obvious, clear, defined things, right? We like the black or white. Um, and we tend to think in, in those ways because it's easier. That's just the way our brains are wired. Uh, but nuance is, is not that at all, right? Now... Here's the problem. Uh, most things are nuanced, right? That's what I seem to have uh, uh, discovered in life. Um, 
but, but we don't want to think in those terms. It's, it's way too difficult. So political nuance, very unpopular, very unpopular. Nobody wants to go there. Um, social nuance, very unpopular. You guys don't like where I'm going with this message to you. I think there's a Methodist church down the street I could go to. I can still make it on time to preach there. If you, I, I can go. No. I like it when pastors do that kind of thing. I, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong church this morning. I can go down the street and go to preach this morning. Um, theological. What's that? I know. I'm trying. I have this problem where if something gets too serious, I have to make a joke. It's a mental condition called a seven on the Enneagram scale. That's me. I'm good. So, but it's true. So, uh, theological nuance is very difficult because we want to see all these subjects in black and white, obvious terms, and uh, and that's the way our brains are wired. When we commit to a, um, you know, a decision to something we believe is true, that's it. That answer is obvious, clear, black and white. That's it. Uh, and, and it's really difficult to to sometimes force ourselves to see another perspective, to see that reframe, to hear the other side. Because our brains like to polarize those things. We like to be like, no, I got it. It's, it's right. What I chose is right. Um, and, and it's difficult. It's difficult. You know, a, a, a nuanced politician makes a bad politician. Because if they go up there and they go, you know, here's what I believe, but I see the other side. And everybody goes, oh, no. You know, the, you alienate the base, right? You can't do that. We all want somebody to do that. But they don't. Because they just can't in our system. It just doesn't work for the system. I, I wish we could move to that direction. You know, uh, For a preacher, a theologian, he goes, you know, this is what I believe about hell. But I, I can see that too. And then everybody goes, no, you got it wrong. We're leaving the church, right? That's really difficult for a, a preacher to, to say something in a nuanced way. People are looking to them for answers. People, theologians are writing books. They got to be concrete. They got to be definitive. You say one thing, you got a whole bunch of people arguing the other side. And if you're going with both sides, you just make everybody upset, which is what I'm going to do this morning. (laughs) But, you know, um, I think nuance is important. So we don't have a lot of room for social media. There's no place for for nuance and and reframing and other perspectives. There's not a lot of room for that in social media. I mean, that is just a, a really difficult place to get into nuanced discussions. It just doesn't happen. Just post pictures of cats. That's what I do. I, I just use it for joking around, pretty much. I even use it for joking around, and, and people still take it very seriously and get upset with me. So, um, My argument, though, is that we, we should all challenge ourselves to move in a, in a more nuanced way, when we can, where we can. So I'm going to go through some of that. I'm going to go through a couple of reframes. Um, uh, yeah, let me just keep going because I've got a little ways to go. So one of the things um, about me, I'm okay with people that think differently than me. I'm okay with it. Most of my friends think very differently than me. Maybe at one time we all thought the same. You know, a lot of us grew up in the church. We were kind of really, um, you know, simpatico on, on a lot of our beliefs and what we were doing and our interests and all that. Uh, but now we're, we've diverged in, you know, tremendously different ways. A lot of us, I'm okay with that. I'm still friends with them. You know, um, my friendships and my relationships aren't based on me agreeing with everything they say. In fact, I kind of like that we're different. Um, so here's the reframe number one. It's okay to be around people with different viewpoints. In fact, I think it's good. A lot of us, I think, because of our, the way we're, our brains are wired, our personalities, our comfort level, nuance is very uncomfortable, right? It's, it's uncomfortable to be that kind of gray area. It's, it's uncomfortable to, to force yourself to, to reframe that thing. So we might gravitate towards people that are just like us, that do believe just like us. We're going to watch that channel that says exactly what we want to hear. We're going to go to that website that tells us what we want to hear. We're going to read the, only the book that agrees with us already. Where's the growth in that, you know? And, and there's obviously limits. You know, you got to hear my heart in that. But uh, it's okay to be around people that think differently than you. In fact, I think it can be a really um, growing and, and healing and uh, enlightening experience. So, um, and I'm not talking about being around people to change who you are, change your core values, and to compromise all that stuff, right? So that's the thing here with nuance. i got to be careful. People don't miss the point. 
Um, I think you're with me so far. If not, there's a Catholic church down the street I could go to right now, right in my backyard. I could preach there probably. Right. <laughs> so here's the thing, too, about nuance. Nuance isn't about being wishy-washy and saying, oh, everything's subjective, and there's a, you know, multiple ways to look at everything, and your truth is, the, is right, and my truth is right, and there's no objective. That's not what I'm saying here, right? But in a lot of these situations and instances, we're dealing with complex topics. We're dealing with theological topics or science or, you know, social, political, economic things. And there is so much nuance in all of that, but we sit around and we pretend like there's not. We pretend like it's as clear as day, uh, this big, huge theological mystery. Clear as day. I don't know. If, I don't why are you acting like that? Because, I mean, I can see it as clear as this. The Bible says it very clearly, right? So the, the way the human brain is wired, we do, we need, we love, we crave that definitive thing, you know? It's, a, it's like a coping mechanism that our brains are just hardwired that way. We, we want to, it's like a survival mechanism, like innate in us, that we want to see a clear answer, attach onto that, and that's it. And we don't want to change. So um, let me get into some examples, and we'll see how you feel after I do that. So this is how we know we lost all nuance and we've really polarized ourselves the last couple of years. Masks. Did you guys have a feeling when I said the word masks? Like, ah, that thing, right? Because we took sides. A mask, this kind of inert thing, became them and them, two completely polar sides, and, and we can't have a nuanced conversation about it because it's, it's teams now. You either uh, hate freedom or you either, you know, love killing people, right? It's, we've taken these very extreme sides and we can't talk about it. Masks either work 10,000% or 0% and there's no in between, right? That's the way it feels uh, in, the, in the social conversation. Um, so when, when a mask becomes that polarizing and you have to choose a team, it becomes very difficult to talk to people, right? So that's just a, a, a byproduct of where we're at socially, where any topic that comes up, it's like they're forcing us to choose a team. Racism is a huge one these last couple of years, right? We're, we're being forced. I feel like I'm being forced socially to choose a team. It's either you're on the team where there's no racism at all. Nope, never happened. It's not out there. Or it's everywhere and everything and Every instance, there's racism going on all the time. Why can't this be a nuanced conversation? Because it sure is. It really is. There's some people you talk to, and, and, and they pretend like the second the Civil War was over, that's when all racism stopped. No, nope, I don't know. It hasn't been happening since, since then. And then there's other people you talk to when, like I said, I mean, they, they, they inject racism into so many things that it's actually hurting the fact that there is real racism out there. Because everything's racist. And then you can't see when there actually is racism, right? So it's actually uh, hurting the real issues out there. This is a very nuanced issue, right? And I don't want to be forced to be put on a team that says, no, there's no, no racism. No, there's, every, every system's fine. Every system's fair. And I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm certainly not going to be on the side that says it's everywhere. Because it is out there. And I want to actually be accurate in being able to spot it instead of saying, yeah, everything's racist, you know. This is uncomfortable, right? Talking about, no, oh, Jerry, no, no, good. The mask thing, I didn't throw you off with the mask thing? Okay, good. <laughs> Always, we do, we, and we, tr we do trust the science. Which science, right? I, I do trust the Bible. What, how, what's your interpretation of the Bible verse? What's your interpretation of the science? You know, it depends who you're going to. And these are nuanced conversations and very complex things. We could, and it's worth the conversation. And it's worth maybe the reframing and, and seeing the other side and, and hopefully them hearing your side and, and discussing that. Um, and keeping an open hand with the things you should keep an open hand with and knowing, knowing the difference. So also, so here's another... Uh, issue that's out there. I'm presenting these things, nuance, reframing, and what I'm going to talk about now. The more we know these things exist, I think just the better uh, prepared we are to handle these social, theological, political topics that come up. And, and I'm not talking about endorsing any 
political side or social side. You hear that, right? I'm just kind of saying we should be open and nuanced in our conversation or thinking about things. Uh, but the more we're aware of these things, like cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias, you know, these are kind of buzzwords that have been out there the last couple of years, but they're very helpful to be aware of. Uh, the fact that you can have cognitive dissonance, you hold two kind of opposing views. They don't work together. They, they don't actually uh, uh, make sense to hold those two views, but you, you hold them. And then all of a sudden your mind is kind of jumbled, right? Because you're holding um, opposing viewpoints. I'll get into that a little bit more. And confirmation bias, I think we know what that is. Um, you can uh, go to any news source, the Bible, a book, whatever information, a podcast. You're going to confirm what you want to believe. You're going to read a bias into things. Uh, and you're going to confirm your side, your, your story uh, in that material. So uh, here's an interesting example. Do you guys remember in the 90s a... Uh, group called the Heaven's Gate cult. Remember this? Um, very, it's a crazy story. Very sad. Um, so I got this um, story uh, from them by the uh, Chicago Tribune, but that's the paper that um, said that Dewey beat Truman, so we'll take what they say with a grain of salt. That joke was for anybody that's like 100 years old that remembers the Truman administration. Um, you remember Dewey beat Truman? Nobody remembers Dewey beat Truman by the Chicago Tribune? There we go. Okay. Anyway, so they, they um, printed a story. So in the 90s, the Heaven's Gate cult um, believed that okay, the Hale-Bopp comet, um, a new comet that was discovered, was being trailed by a spaceship and that they were going to, if, if they died, they would be transported to the spaceship and live in an enlightened society. So, you know, makes sense. Um, but... Um, so here's what they did. So they, they, they were convinced that behind the Hale-Bopp comet was a spaceship that they were going to be transported to. So they bought an $8,000 high-powered telescope so they could see the spaceship, right? Which I'm like, yeah, good. Okay, let's, you know, if you think the spaceship's there, buy the high-powered telescope so you can prove that it's there, whatever. So they buy the telescope. They, they queue it up. They see the comet. And they're looking right behind the comet, and they don't see the spaceship. So they're like, huh. So, you know, uh, what happened was they, they all said, I guess we were wrong. They abandoned their beliefs, and they all went on their own way, right? No. They return the $8,000 telescope to the store and say, your telescope's broken. We don't see the spaceship. And then we, we know what happens, right? I don't, it's a very sad ending to, to what happened to the, to the people in that um, group. That's confirmation bias. That's cognitive dissonance. You believe that there's this thing out there. You look it up with this thing. Oh, it's not there. It must be the telescope's fault. I can't be wrong. I've committed this to, to my belief system. So I'm going to blame something else. So that's just an example of kind of cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. <clears throat> that's a very extreme example. But we all can do this in in so many different ways if we're not aware of it. So those are those markers where you're like, you know, I really believe this to be true. I believe my way is the right way, the only way. This is the only way to think about it. Somebody presents you with this completely contradictory thing. What do you do with that? Do you go, you know what? It's the telescope's fault. I'm, you know, I'm just going to return the telescope and move on. Or do you go, well, maybe there's another side to this. Maybe there's a nuance. Maybe there's a way to shift my perspective. So here's the thing. You can go to God. You can go to the Bible uh, with an agenda. You're going to come out with exactly what you want if you want to do it that way. That's just the way humans are wired, you know? You could go into the Bible with an agenda. You can find what you want. I know that's true because people do it all the time. You can go to God with a prayer or listen with an agenda. You'll get what you want. You'll, you'll hear what you want. People do it all the time. If we're aware we do that, if we're aware that happens, I think that's a good place to start. <clears throat> do you guys know who the Babylon Bee is? So funny, right? This is one of my favorite articles from the Babylon Bee. Um, so if you don't know, the Babylon Bee is like a fake news um, satire site. So they do, this is fake. 
But uh, it's, it's funny because what they put out there is very true. It's on point a lot of the time. So uh, one of my favorite articles they ever did was, uh, the headline was, Jesus was a socialist deconstructionist feminist, claims socialist deconstructionist feminist scholar. so true, right? We see this all the time. I see all that kind of stuff in real life, right? You know, super progressive person sees the Bible in a super progressive way. Super right wing. It happens all the time. All of us can fall into that. But here, so the article says, this is all fake, but it's funny. According to the author, uh, critical studies of New Testament texts reveal that Jesus' teachings pointed to a radical redistribution of wealth, the undermining of language, and a redefinition of gender. The author was amazed to find in his textual examinations that the Jesus he found virtually mirrored the the things he himself believes about society. When I strip away the things that obviously could not have been said by Jesus, the Christ figure is practically an avatar of my own mind. (laughs) So funny. It's funny because it happens. It's true. And we all can do it. You know, that's an extreme example again. But, <clears throat> um, you know, I'm thinking back to the 90s. Um, again, this is not going to be smooth. I told you that, right? I keep giving that disclaimer. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Um, it seemed like, from my, my memory, my experience back in the 90s, things did seem to be a bit more dogmatic and a bit more presented as black and white in the 90s. We didn't have a lot of nuance back then. We still don't. Um, I even remember specific conversations sometimes. Somebody would uh, be a smoker, maybe. And you go, oh, that person smokes. Oh, I thought they were a Christian. Right? Am I, I'm, I'm saying something that's true, right? Because you guys all, oh, they're, a, they're that political party? Oh, I thought they were a Christian. Remember that? What's the nuance in that, you know? Um, so... Did that kind of thinking, did that kind of labeling, that wasn't helpful, by the way, right? <laughs> Super not helpful. Did that lead into kind of the movement we're seeing today of deconstruction, right? I don't know. And I don't want to talk about de- deconstruction. I, I don't know what's going on with that. We're still in the midst of kind of that movement, especially in my generation. I don't know what the deal is with it, but was it that labeling, that this is such a clear line, there's no in-between, and you're either on that side or that side? And I don't think my generation likes that. In fact, I'm just going to say, I know we don't. We don't like that kind of pre- presentation. You know, this is the, the only way to do church. This is the only way to do, to believe about, you know, heaven, hell, whatever, salvation. My generation um, and, and younger uh, don't like that. <clears throat> I think we do appreciate a more nuanced approach. The backlash seems to be some deconstruction, uh, you know, stuff we're going through right now. I don't want to get into that too much. Um, so a kind of a seminal moment, more like a complete firestorm moment that happened about 10, 12 years ago, um, <clears throat> coming out of the 90s and all that, was Love Wins by Rob Bell. Do you remember this? Oh, wow, I got a yes. That was not what I was expecting. I was expecting, get out! <laughs> get out! Oh, it's a true story. So, you know, here's where the nuance comes in, too. I'm just kind of sharing just different, you know, bullet points and stuff like that. Years back, I was talking to a pastor, and, you know, he just said, so what books have you read? I said, you know, John Crowder, Bill Johnson, this one, oh, Love Wins by Rob Bell. And he goes, oh, that's not good. And totally fractured my relationship with this guy. Totally. That's not good. And I didn't even say, oh, I love this book by Rob Bell, and I agree with, I agree with everything that's in it. I didn't say that. In fact, I was the guy with all my friends going, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. You know, this was an interesting point, but I don't know about that. So that's me. That's my heart. And I go, I just read it. And he goes, no, that's not good. Totally fractured my relationship. Um, just from reading a book? My generation doesn't like that kind of a <laughs> hard line. You don't read that book. You read this book. You don't think these thoughts. You think those thoughts. But anyways, Love Wins was a firestorm moment. It all started with, uh, there was an uh, art exhibit at Rob Bell's church back when he used to pastor. Um, and somebody put, uh, somebody had a quote from Gandhi. <clears throat> and uh, somebody else put a sticky note on the quote from Gandhi. And they said, reality check, he's in hell. Right? So that's, and then 
Rob Bell goes, reality check? God is in hell? You, you know this? You have confirmation of this? You know how, and the whole thing spiraled from there. And I'm not, I'm not here to say he is or isn't. That's not the point. Is Gandhi in hell? And we're not going there. It's not our place to judge. But it's that attitude that goes, nope, this guy, he's in hell. I know. I'm the one that knows. Is that where we want to be at? Is that the kind of conversation we want to be having in the church? And, he, and you know, the book kind of goes through... Uh, <clears throat> Different questions. You know, we, we like to. And again, I'm saying we. I, I like to. You like to. Everybody likes to have these defined terms. Well, it's easy. You know, the Bible says this is how you're saved. <clears throat> and then Rob, you know, goes through in the book and says, well, here's how the Bible talks about salvation. Every time Jesus brings up salvation and going to heaven, he presents it in a different way. To this person, he says, give your money and you're saved. To the, to the thief on the cross, it's a different thing. To this person, you're saved through childbirth. To this person, every single time, this is how you're saved. There's no formula. It's not you pray the prayer and you're saved. You do an altar call and you're saved. That's not in the Bible. I think the whole altar call thing came about like about 100 years ago. That's kind of a form we use. I'm not saying that's bad, but you can't diminish all the other things that Jesus said about it. There's a whole conversation of what it means to be saved, and it's not black and white, and we don't like it. Because we want to present a system, we want to present something that's clear and concise and black and white. And Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, he just doesn't work in those boxes. Good. Oh, see, that, that pregnant pause was for somebody to say that, so I appreciate that. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I appreciate that. So, you know, hell is another one. You know, like, I'm not going to stay on, on that book. I, I'm not endorsing the book or, or not. But um, hell, we know hell exists. And we know it because the Bible says it. And the Bible says clearly. And, and, and the Bible does talk about hell. So I'm, I'm saying, yes, the, there's hell in the Bible. It says it's a place of eternal darkness, right? Right. So, okay, there's that. It's a place of eternal darkness, and it's also a place of uh, fire, right? So we got dark with fire, okay? You ever seen that, the, the fire that's dark? Hmm. Okay, moving on. So I'm not saying hell doesn't exist. I'm going to say, oh, so it's obvious. I'm saying, well, I don't know which one it is, and maybe it's nuanced, and maybe there's a conversation there. But we like to pretend, yep, it's that dark fire. There's that cognitive dissonance. It's that... And it's that, you know, there's a conversation there. <clears throat> All right, moving on. All this is just to get you to think, right? I, I'm not saying, well, I think Dan was saying we should wear masks. No, I'm just saying think about the conversation. I think he said that racism stopped at the end of the Civil War. Yeah, actually, my wife's the editor for the for the podcast, so don't chop this. You can make me sound really bad if you chop this podcast up the wrong way, which would be funny. But uh, I'm just presenting all these things to make us think. That's what I like to do. That's my gift and curse, I guess. <laughs> Paul says in Galatians uh, three twenty six through twenty eight. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you. Uh, who were baptized into Christ have closed your, clothed yourselves with Christ. <clears throat> there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every time I read in my head, I read like perfectly like a scholar. And any, any time I read out loud, it's very different. So just saying that. So neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. Then he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, For though I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may gain more. To the Jews I became a Jew so that I might, became, uh, so that I might gain the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being under the law myself so that I might gain those who are under the law. To those without the law, I became as one without the law. Though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might, might gain those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. 
I have become all things to all people, so that I may by all means save some. So listen to that nuance from Paul right there. Same person wrote both those. He clearly said in one, there's no Jew or Gentile, slave, free, male, female. Then he says, you know, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. To the the Greeks, I became as a Greek. To the weak, I became as a weak. So he's saying, all those identity things, that's not true. That's not you. You're all in Christ. That stuff doesn't exist anymore. That's that's not your, your true identity. What does he do then socially, relationally? Oh, yeah, I'm going to become a Jew to the Jew, a Greek to the Greek. I'm going to, I'm going to become as one of them. I'm going to relationally fit in with them so that some may be saved. That's a, that's a nuance there. That's a reframe. Let's do another one. Same guy, Paul. Galatians 5. Look, I, Paul, tell you that if you yourselves have been circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And again, I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. These are some harsh words. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Okay? Selah. So then in Acts 16, same guy, Paul says, And a disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. I don't speak often enough. I told you that, right? Throat's getting scratchy. Wait till I start screaming. <clears throat> That'll be fun. Um, whose father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by his, the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to leave with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew his father was a Greek. So Timothy's mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, so he was part Jewish. So Paul said, I want to go minister to the Jewish people, so you're going to get circumcised. This guy just laid out, you know, I'm not sure which came first, but Paul's belief system is if you get yourself circumcised, you know, as a Jewish person, that, you know, you are, um, the Christ is of no Uh, benefit to you. You know, he just laid out the whole thing. Don't get circumcised. You're not under that obligation. You're not under the law. We're going to minister to the Jews. Yeah, get circumcised. So what's that? So the guy that preaches against identity, all that stuff says, yeah, I'm going to become as one of them when I'm with them so that some might get saved. I want to be with those people. I want to talk to those people. Yeah, you're going to do this thing so that we can. What does that look like today? Maybe. Maybe. Masks. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not for you. Um, I don't know. It's just a question. What? Because here's where the cognitive dissonance, here's where the confirmation bias could, could fit in. Analogies are bad, too. I, I listen to somebody that says that a, a lot. You know, <clears throat> analogies are hard to use as arguments because there's always a difference, right? Well, no, Paul's talking about circumcision there, <clears throat> not talking about masks, so it's clearly different than masks. You know, it's clearly different than tattoos, whatever. Yeah, there's always going to be differences in analogies. But what is the general point that Paul's trying to make? He's trying to make relationships. He's trying to have influence with people, not... Uh, be polarizing. He's not trying to make this principled stand based on him being right, which he, he knows the truth. He clearly preaches the truth. He clearly knows the, the truth of, of, of the spirit, of scripture, of what God is saying. He's not diminishing that. He's just saying, yeah, this is the truth. But you know what? We're trying to influence these people. So we're going to change our behaviors. We're going to change these things that are in- inconsequential we're not changing our belief system. We're not changing our core values. But, but how are we going to influence them if we're making this hard-line, polarized, political, staunch, biased stance just to spite them? That's not going to work. 
you know, screaming them down, telling them they're wrong. That's not going to win any influence. We're going to have no relationship with them. So it's either we have relationship with them and do this thing. Fine, whatever. I'll, be, I'll, I'll act a little differently around them. That's fine. I'm okay with that. That way we, we can influence them. We can have relationship. What does that look like for us today? <clears throat> so, another reframe right there. Sometimes we need to build roads instead of burning bridges based on principle or being right. We can stand in our principle and our rightness and go, no, I'm right. And lose influence with our friends, our kids, our parents, neighbors. Paul didn't make that hard line stance where he didn't have to. He certainly did when he had to, you know, about the gospel. He didn't waver on the gospel message. See, that's, that's the nuance, too. He wasn't wishy-washy about the gospel. <clears throat> he used all sorts of other tactics to get people to the gospel. He kept an open mind socially, very socially minded, politically minded. He would go to the synagogues. You know, he would go around the Jewish people and, would, and he would reason with them, as was his custom. He wanted relationship with people that thought differently than him. He, he craved it. He seeked it out all the time. Look, look at all his letters. He's always doing that. He's going from town to town to town, talking with vastly different people groups to reason with them, to present the gospel. But he was never coming in judgmental. He was never coming in going, I'm right, you're wrong. You know, why are you, why are you doing this thing? That's stupid. He was never coming in with that attitude. He was coming in so graciously. I think he's a great example. <clears throat> great example for us. So, was he, let's, let's say, let's bring up the masks thing, just because it's so uncomfortable to keep saying that. Would Paul have worn a mask around people that were wearing masks? I'm not saying, and, and, and if he was like, well, this, the science isn't there, masks don't do anything. You know, let's just wear the mask around this whole group of people that, that's, that loves masks, just so we can talk to them. Would he have? Maybe. Based on his attitude here, maybe. And then, and then it's not saying, well, see, masks work. Masks are great. No, it's just him going, yeah, I don't like masks, but we're going to wear a mask here. And then all these other people don't like masks. He's like, yeah, I don't, I don't need a mask. I'm, I'm going to go over here and not wear the mask because they don't want me to wear a mask, you know? What are we going to do? Don't get caught up in the mask thing. <clears throat> That's just an extreme example. But. Can we talk to people in a different political spectrum than us, you know? <clears throat> Paul used whatever social and relational tactics he could to promote the gospel, but these things were never in conflict with the gospel. He lived with that nuance. So, later on, uh, he goes to uh, <clears throat> Mars Hill. This is when he finds a... He was in this um, Greek city with all sorts of gods and idols. Remember this? They had a god for this, a god for that. <clears throat> and then just to cover their bases, they had an unknown god. <laughs> we know the god for sun, we know the god for this and that. And then there's the unknown god. And he didn't go in there and go, oh, you guys are way off. No, this is all wrong. Tear it all down. There's no, there's no Jesus. There's no you know, scripture here. This is, this is completely off base. He didn't do that. He goes, Here's my opportunity. So he, he used that as an opportunity to go, <clears throat> look it, yeah, there is a God. I, I know him, actually. You say the unknown God? Cool. I'm, we're not going to fight about that language. We're not going to get into the weeds with his name is Jehovah Jireh, and he, here's the scripture, and you, here's the Torah. You know. he, goes, he goes, oh, you guys worship a God? Let me tell you about him. There's a nuance there. Would we even feel comfortable doing that? In, t- in nowadays, you know, we go to, to some place and they're like here's here's my god i worship this that's my god right we're like yeah i can see that (laughs) yeah let me let me elaborate on that a little bit more you know we wouldn't feel comfortable doing that right paul did because he was trying to save some whoever could listen whoever he could influence for the gospel 
And he wasn't compromising his views. He wasn't compromising his beliefs. Thank you. Probably not as funny as some of you were hoping for. Sorry about that. Next time. Let me do a couple reframes, then I'm going to land the ship. Maybe hard landing. We'll see. Hmm. You guys tracking with me so far? Let's do a couple reframes. <clears throat> so uh, um, here's, here's one I brought up uh, years ago, I think, at the school when we had that here. If you think the supernatural is better than the natural, maybe there's a reframe to, to be had there. Now, am I saying the supernatural is bad? No. I went to a supernatural school. I moved completely across the country to go to a school that focuses on the supernatural. Supernatural's good. Natural's good, too. Who made the natural? God. Who made the, a rock? If we start to say, well, the supernatural stuff's good, I don't, I don't want rocks, because rocks are natural. Who made everything? God. And most of the stuff out there, I guess we would classify as natural. So if we don't like the natural, we only like the supernatural, we only like the, the healings, the prophetic, the signs, the wonders, we're going to be disappointed with like most of what's happening all the time. So the reframe is, enjoy it all, because it's all from God. We don't have to choose sides. That's hopefully the freedom of this message. You don't have to choose if you're on the side that says, There's either racism or not. That's a box we don't want to be put in politically, socially. We don't want to be on the side that says, well, I'm kind of into the supernatural stuff and the natural stuff. And that's that's where Gnosticism came from, right? When you had to choose sides. Natural bad, spiritual good. Well, what is that saying? So hopefully there's some freedom in this kind of stuff. Um, This is one I I didn't know if I would bring it up. Here's a reframe. Being prepared is not as spiritual as being spontaneous. I came very prepared, so this is, this is confirmation bias, what I'm doing right here. When I was on, I, I used to play with a lot of worship teams, and, you know, I'd, I'd play guitar with wor- different worship leaders all the time, you know, years ago. And most of the time, because I'm in the charismatic stream, you know, very spiritually minded movements, most of the time, whether it was the worship leader, the preacher, whatever was happening, nobody knew, and nobody could prepare. They wouldn't tell me what songs we were going to play. The, the preacher didn't know what they were going to preach about because they were going to be spontaneous because they were going to listen to God in the moment. And I get it. I'm not saying that's bad. Don't hear that. But why couldn't God have told you on Wednesday? So are you really listening to God in the moment? Or are you just feeling what you want to do in the moment? I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Because is it the same God that you're going to listen to on Wednesday that you are on the Saturday night? Or is it a different God? Because if he knows what's going to happen, he's, he knows what's going to happen. And he, know, he knows what you're going to want to do. So why do I have to then be like looking over your shoulder the whole time going, okay, what song are we doing now? Anyways, maybe that was a little uh, therapy. <laughs> But I shared that because maybe there's something there. Maybe you have the frame that goes, if I plan, that's not really spiritual. You know? Maybe let's think about that one a little bit. Maybe it'll come up later. Um, Going from glory to glory. What's the reframe there? So the the true reframe there is we we love that expression because it's such a great quote. It's such a great, we're going from glory to glory. That's such a good magnet. It's such a good little thing you can put on like a, thing and hold, you know, over your door in your house. And like, it's just a good catchphrase from the Bible. It's good when the Bible produces those little sayings. So we like to use that one. You know, we're going from glory to glory. What did that really mean? It's from second Corinthians. He's talking about going from the glory of the old covenant 
to how much greater, because there was some glory in the Old Covenant. You know, when Moses, he had to wear the veil over his face, right? He had some glory on him when he came down from the mountain. There was definitely glory there. But that pales in comparison to the glory of the New Covenant. So we're going from glory to glory. We take that and we go, yeah, we're going from glory to glory. Like we had a good church service on Sunday, and then we're going to have a good uh, convention where we have all these speakers come in. Man, we're going from glory to glory. And then, man, if we if the revival comes, we're going to be going from glory to glory. And then, like, I've my prayer life has been good. Man, I'm going from glory to glory in my prayer life. Wait a second. Do you know what that really meant? Like, we're in that glory now. You're not going from glory to glory to glory. You might be feeling good. Things might be happening. God's doing stuff. All good stuff to, to, to be thankful for. But if you don't acknowledge we're in that glory of the new covenant, what are we doing? It's like... We're there. We've achieved that glory, and let's enjoy that, that glory that Christ has given us in the new covenant. That's kind of why, um, another reframe, I didn't want to go on this one because I've <clears throat> talked about this one at length and written about it. You can even probably look it up online. Come Holy Spirit and more Lord prayers. I've kind of talked about this, right? Very popular to say that, you know, in, in you know, our stream, our kind of circles and, and, and belief system. Come Holy Spirit, more Lord. What's the reframe of that? What are we saying when we're, when we're saying these things? Going from glory to glory, come Holy Spirit, more Lord. It's a lot of lack when you, when you really think about it. And I'm not saying those prayers are bad or wrong or evil. I'm just saying, is there a better way to look at it than coming from a position of lack? I've, I've talked about that a bunch. I've said, you know, I think we have access to the glory. We have access to the Holy Spirit, a continual abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. He's given us fullness. I mean, it's all in there. If you go to the scriptures, it's never talking about lack. You're never in lack. You have the glory of the new covenant. You have the continual abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. You have the fullness of God. Full. All. It's, it's just there. And then we go, you know, more, Lord. And we're focused on a position of lack. And I'm saying it's not helpful. And the cognitive dissonance kind of can start to kick in when you go, well, I know we have the continual presence of the Holy Spirit, but I don't feel it. So I'm saying come Holy Spirit, even though I know he's here. But it's more of an invitation for him to come into my... No, stop. I think, I think it's too much work. I think we should just appreciate the presence. Appreciate the fact that we have the fullness. We might not be feeling it or whatnot, but let's try to come up with some language that's more helpful to facilitate what we do have instead of always focused on... What's next? When the revival happens, when the, the next generation brings us into revival, you know, then things are really going to get going. That'd be cool, and maybe, but what we have now is pretty great. It's pretty good. Um, two more things, then I'm going to land this thing. So, real quick. Daryl mentioned a great reframe last week, too. I just wanted to mention it again. Simple things can be powerful and meaningful. You said that last week. What, just because something simple doesn't mean it's not good. That's kind of what I'm getting at with a lot of those things. Simple can be very powerful and very good. Let's not dismiss the simple. Kind of with the natural, supernatural thing. Let's not dis- dismiss the natural. Let's not dismiss the simple. Let's reframe some of our thinking around that and enjoy those kind of things. So the ultimate reframe, though, is the gospel message. God's reframed our entire identities in Christ. A couple years back, I uh, watched the show Making a Murderer. It was this very popular series. I'm not going to get into... It's a very troubling, dark uh, show, but... Real quick, uh, there's this young kid, 17 years old, got accused of, of murdering somebody. Um, the thing about this kid, though, is he's 17, but he's got like the intelligence level of an 8-year-old. Very unintelligent based on our worldly standards. He knew it. Everybody knew it. Very easily convinced person. Not a very bright guy. He gets convicted of murder with his uncle. We don't know to this day if he did it or not. He, they forced a confession out of him, it looked like. He was very manipulated. <clears throat> so he's in jail. He's in a terrible position, made some really dumb choices in his life, 
and he's talking to his mom, and you know his, his mom goes, "Why did you do it, Brandon? You know, why, why did you do this? Why did you murder this girl? Why did you confess?" You know, this kid's not very bright. He goes, "Well, I'm just stupid." And the mom goes, "Not to me or not." And it's like that moment stuck with me, because this kid is stupid. If you want to look at it from a worldly standard, he's not smart. He did some really dumb things. He might have done something really bad. So yeah, you can go, yeah, yeah, boy, you messed up. You're stupid, dumb kid. But the mom goes, no, not to me or not. And I see the gospel message in that human, (laughs) crazy interaction. Because we can objectively look at our decisions, our attitudes, our intelligence, and go, yeah, we're pretty dumb. We're pretty stupid sometimes. We make really bad decisions. We don't have it all figured out. And God goes, well, not to me or not. Being a parent, I can really relate with that. Mom, my kids could do whatever they do, whatever actions they do. And then you go, well, that's bad, right? That's a, that's a dumb thing to do. That's a stupid. I go, no, I don't see it. I'm not, I don't see it. No, they're, they're perfect to me because I'm not basing it on their actions. I'm basing it on who they are. And I think we really need to approach people that way too, how God sees them, and use that reframe. Because life's messy. There's a lot of nuance. And we can either take that principled stand, oh, no, I know what's objectively right. Or we can go, no, now I'm going to see it from a different perspective. I'm going to see it from God's perspective. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org. Thank you.